Amen, amen. Good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Good morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue our series in the gospel of John. And so if you want to get a head start there, we're going to be in John chapter one, uh, the tail end of John chapter one, beginning in verse 35, as we continue our come and see series and praise God that he is building his church and he is doing so faithfully that he is worthy of it all. I have a question for you guys this morning, and I think it's, it's one that's directly from the text. Um, and it's one that I think is really soul piercing and heart convicting and sis is if, what would change in your life, if you act, would change in your life, if you actually received what you were seeking, if you got the promotion at work, if that's like you're pouring it in, I wanna make partner of the law firm, I wanna get the, the next rank in the military, if I, you get into the college that you have been giving your heart and soul and time to, if you get the girl, you get the guy, you get the kids, you get the money, you get the car, you get the house, you get the second house, you get the dream vacation, then what? Seriously, then what? What really changes? Where it matters most, what really changes? Yeah, you might have a nice new ride. You might be able to relax on some beach somewhere or on some ship somewhere or have a second home somewhere. But where it really matters, what you're really, really searching for in terms of peace and hope and joy in the innermost parts of your heart, what would really change? And the answer is probably nothing. Money doesn't solve your misery. The promotion can't give you peace. The family, the American dream, it can't give you eternal life or even enduring hope. So what happens when the stock market crashes? What happens when the job goes away? What happens when college is over? What happens what happens, what happens? As we will see vividly in this text today that only Jesus can save you and satisfy you. Jesus is gonna ask us in this text, he's gonna ask some of the original disciples, he's gonna ask each of us today, what are you seeking? On a heart level, on a soul level, and where he is leading us is that all you are seeking, whether you realize it or not, the only place that you will be finding what you are seeking is in me and through me as you give your life to follow me. That is the heartbeat of this text that we will see vividly and clearly as Jesus continues to reveal himself to you. It's a question that Jesus asked the disciples in the text is a question that he's asking you and I today. What are you seeking and where are you seeking it? He's giving you an invitation today to come and see that all you are seeking is found in Jesus. All that you're hoping for is found in Jesus, whether you realize it or not. He's offering the answer to what your heart desires and your soul savors, and it's Jesus. The question is when he extends the invitation to come and find all that you are seeking and all that you are needing in Jesus, how will you respond? Will you deny him and continue to live in misery? Some of the richest people in the world or some of the most miserable people in the world because they serve a God of a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. The invitation is being extended to you today to, to follow the God who is more than enough. And his name is Jesus Christ. So will you de de decline his invitation and live in misery or will you accept it and walk in victory and find the fulfillment, find the hope, find the satisfaction that only Jesus offers, that only Jesus can give you. Here's a big idea for the text today that we'll see on the screen and in your notes it's this, is seeing Jesus accurately leads to following Jesus faithfully. 
when I see Jesus, and when we go through this text today, these 16, 17 verses, I want you to underline, I want you to highlight, I want you to at least notice how many different times and variations the word see are in the text. When you see Jesus accurately, when you see him for who he is, and this is the whole point of the Gospel of John, as we'll talk about in a second, to see Jesus in reality, accurately, wholeheartedly, that should lead to us following him faithfully with all that we have, with all that we are. And that changes, friends, everything. And that is our way that we experience life. True life abundantly here on earth and true life for all of eternity, only in and through Jesus. So the question today is this, is will you follow Jesus faithfully as you choose to see him accurately as your savior, as your Lord, as your king? And how will you allow him to change you today. Father, we just thank you for who you are. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for this gospel. I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We are here to magnify you, to exalt you. You are the name that is above every name. Help us to bow our hearts before you today, King Jesus. And Holy Spirit, may you work in the way in which you want, in the way in which only you can, Holy Spirit, that you would convict and compel as your word says us it will, that you would cut us to the heart, that you would encourage us, heal us, restore us, redeem us, renew us. And God, just reveal to us who you are, Jesus, today afresh. As we all walked in here, we all need you, Jesus. Different situations, same source of sufficiency, and it's only you, Jesus. Help us to see that clearly to humble ourselves wholeheartedly and to follow you faithfully, Jesus. As we see you, King Jesus, as we choose to surrender to you and as we choose to accept the life that you offer so freely and may we follow you faithfully, Jesus, for who you are. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. And if you don't have a, if you don't have a, go- a copy of God's Word, we would love to give one to you. We have them in the back. Um, you can turn on your phone. We are, in the e- we, we are looking at the ESV version today, predominantly. Um, but God's Word is special to our hearts, and it's, 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 we love it. So John 1, 35 through 51, we're going to finish up as we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of John over the next several months. Um, we're going we're gonna to finish up chapter 1 here. This is the word of the Lord as inspired and led on by the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, as written by John the Apostle, beginning in verse 35 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament. It says this, the next day, again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, that's 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and he said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found the one of whom Moses in the law also, uh, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, huh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and he said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see far greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Will you follow? Jesus is calling you just like he called the first disciples. Will you follow? Will you choose to follow? John the Apostle, who's the author of this book, is continuing to accomplish his purpose as he gave us in John chapter 20, verse 31. He's continuing to progressively reveal who Jesus is with the defined purpose of displaying the reality and that so we might see it accurately that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so that we would respond by following faithfully. So that through believing in, his, him, in him, you will have life in his name. Remember, we asked to and challenge you to memorize that verse. How's that going? Because again, everything in the gospel of John comes back to that verse. So John is writing explicitly with the intentionality to continue to reveal the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, so that we might see it accurately. And he reveals it over time, just like Jesus is progressively revealing himself to us today. He's going to show us the divinity, the humanity, the majesty, the beauty and the power and the reality that Jesus is greater. He's glorious. He's bigger than anything in your life and any ongoing circumstance. And here he, he, he testifies about John the Baptist. So there's a lot of Johns in this text. Don't get them confused, okay? John the Apostle is writing about John the Baptist in verse 35, and it says the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist had his own disciples. And what does he say? And he looked at them, and he he saw Jesus walking, and what does he say in verse 36? Same thing as last week, what? Behold the what? The Lamb of God. Behold means to see, to fixate, to fix your eyes. See Jesus accurately for who he is, the Lamb of God. John is pointing us yet again to the reality of who Jesus is. That only Jesus and through Jesus who would come to die and live as our sacrificial substitute, the Lamb of God, because we are all sinners in need of a savior. We have all sinned and sin requires a a death penalty, a perfect sacrifice and anybody perfect in the room? No, great. All of us imperfect people are amongst friends, right? Praise God for that. So it required a perfect sacrifice, fully God, fully man. Jesus came, laid down his life, died our death that we deserve on the cross. That's the gospel. A free gift of God's grace to us that we can receive through faith to pay our price. Praise God for that. Amen. So when he says, behold the land, that's what he's talking about. Pastor Andrew did a phenomenal job last week, giving us a beautiful biblical overarching view, a biblical theology of who the Lamb of God is, what it is, uh, looking at the full scope of scripture that the Lamb of God is sought, he's sent, he's sacrificed, and he's celebrated. Praise God for that. So when John again, the next day, two days in a row, sees Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God, may we begin to see Jesus accurately for who he is. He says, see Jesus accurately, and then respond 
appropriately. What's the response of the disciples right here when they see Jesus for who he is? Verse 37, they see Jesus as the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and then they what was your text say? Followed him, right? So when I see Jesus accurately, that leads to me following him faithfully. Now there's a progressive relationship, progressive revelation that's going to happen. These disciples know a little bit about who Jesus is. They don't know a whole lot. They don't know everything, but it's enough to follow. They're gonna learn more and more and more about who Jesus is. They don't understand everything. And neither do you and I have to have the totality of the understanding of who Jesus is to begin to follow him. Because it's a progressive sanctification. It's a progressive revelation and journey. We just have to know who Jesus is in terms of savior. Son of God. The disciples went on a three-year journey and they didn't understand fully until really Jesus' crucifixion and then resurrection. Praise God that Jesus can handle our questions. We're gonna look at what it means to be a follower of Christ as defined by this text, but I think it's really, really important to see some kingdom advancing principles that John the Baptist displays. We're not gonna talk a lot about John the Baptist here, but I think it's really important to learn as a church that is committed to multiplying disciples for the Lord, to living out our mission, uh, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Look at these characteristics that John the Baptist is displaying and may they be true of us individually and then collectively as a church as we seek to multiply disciples and followers of God. The first is this, is is that we need to have a heart of humility. John the Baptist does that, doesn't he? He's like, Jesus is greater. He's the lamb of God, I'm not. I wanna make Jesus great. I wanna decrease myself and I wanna increase Jesus. And we're gonna look at that more in the weeks to come. But a heart of humility helps advance the gospel faithfully. It's, it's our mission not to get people to follow us, but to get people to follow Jesus. That's a key distinction, <coughs> key distinction. We're not called to make followers of harvest. We're called to make followers of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist, open-handed, open-hearted, the second characteristic, generosity, points his disciples, his, those that have been following him, to say, you don't want to follow me anymore. You want to go follow Jesus. And in the same way, we need to have an open hand and an open heart with our resource pool that when we want to plant a church, we, we open-handedly and open-heartedly go, send people out. Invest our hearts and our resources to point them to where Jesus wants them to go. So a heart of humility, a heart of generosity in every way with our own individual resources and of people and money and finances. And, it's, and then leading to intentionality. There's an intentionality in the heart of John the Baptist that intentionally is pointing people to Jesus. So humility, generosity, intentionality. Kingdom advancing principles that multiply disciples in the heart of John the Baptist that we need to live out in our lives as well. Praise God for that as we literally live to seek and pray and see God's kingdom grow in advance. We see in verse 36 and 37 that beholding leads to believing, right? They beheld the Lamb of God, they saw him accurately, and then they followed, they believed. Beholding leads to believing. And seeing accurately Jesus leads to following Jesus faithfully, which is a big idea, and it's vividly in this text all throughout. We're gonna look throughout this text at four different encounters, four different people coming from different backgrounds and different places and different seasons of life who heard about Jesus different in different ways, yet all chose to follow Jesus. We're gonna see a skeptic. We're gonna see a blue collar fisherman. We're gonna see friends and family that are brought to Jesus by John the Baptist and their friends and their family. 
All of us come to Jesus in different ways. I pray that whatever your heart position, whatever your vocation, whatever your situation that you're walking in today, that you would see the reality that Jesus is sufficient for you. No matter your background or city of origin or place of birth, that Jesus is enough. No matter how much money is or isn't in your bank account, Jesus is enough. Whether you're a blue collar worker, whether you're hanging out under a fig tree and have some questions, whether you heard about Jesus from a family member or a friend, Jesus is enough. And I pray that we'd see that and follow him faithfully today. The reality that Jesus changes everything. I pray that you would see yourself in the story of these four ordinary people whose lives were changed through the extraordinary reality that Jesus is the son of God that he is the Messiah, he's the savior, and you would allow Jesus to change everything for you today because Jesus changes everything. And may their story be our story of what, we're gonna look today right now at three distinctives of what a true authentic follower of Jesus is. And we're gonna see that from the text. The first is this, followers of Jesus abide in Jesus because he is what we are seeking. I know you're not saying with, you can sort of scratch, I made a slight adjustment late in the week, you can scratch out the word with, abide in Jesus because he is what we are seeking. These two disciples who have been following John the Baptist, one we come to later know in the text is Andrew. The other one we have a strong suspicion is actually John the apostle himself, the author of the gospel. These two disciples, when they encountered Jesus, they chose to follow Jesus when they truly saw who Jesus was. When Jesus first sees them, he turns to them and, and in the first words given in the, of Jesus Christ in the gospel of John, he asks this heart piercing question, what are you seeking? And remember John, the, the apostle is writing very, very intentionally to point us to prove to us that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He says that in John 20, 31. So he, he, this is strategic, it's intentional, and it's a question not just reserved for these first disciples, it's for you and I today. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Context is essential. Here in this day and age, these disciples are living under an oppressive Roman government. Many thought, most thoughts, including probably these early followers, that the Messiah coming meant that the Roman government would be overthrown. That no longer would they have to be oppressed. No longer would they have to fear of their lives. No longer would they be unfairly treated. That the Messiah was here to give them earthly freedom and to break them out of earthly bondage. And so in a lot of ways, it's like, Jesus is like, if you're seeking that, you came to the wrong Messiah, because I'm not that. I'm not here to overthrow the Roman government. I'm not here to give you a comfortable life. I'm actually here to tell you your life will be quite hard if you choose to follow me. But I am here to give you what no one else can give you, which is a pathway to eternity and a reconciled relationship with God the Father. I'm the one that can only give you enduring hope and perfect peace that passes understanding. I'm here to give you what your internal heart yearns for and desires, whether you realize it or not. Because if you, if you, if you don't know this, Ecclesiastes 3, 11, it's revealed to us that God has set eternity in the hearts of all of men, including you and me. That we yearn for eternity, whether you admit it or not. We yearn for the hope that, we yearn for a living hope, we yearn for a perfect peace, that Jesus is the only one that can provide that. Jesus is not saying your earthly difficulties will go away, your hope, your hurt, and your heart will magically go away in, in our external circumstances of our earthly life. He is saying, I will satisfy you and sustain you even when your situations are really hard. I will give you peace even when your world is falling apart. I will give you hope and I will give you an eternal perspective that will sustain you and give you endurance and perseverance in an earthly world that is really fallen and broken. 
Now, these disciples wouldn't come to understand that for a long period of time. They knew a lot about religion. They followed John the Baptist. They didn't know what it was like to have a relationship with the Lord. And maybe that's you this morning. You grew up in church or you've been around religion and you know a lot about religion, but you haven't quite gotten to that point of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the invitation Jesus is giving you today and he's giving you every week to move from religion to relationship because religion can't save you. Only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can save you. These guys had religion, but they didn't have the relationship. And maybe that's been your story. May that story transition today to hope and faith in the one true King, Jesus Christ. And guys, if you're on this journey and you don't quite get it yet, man, I'm welcome to the club. It took these disciples three years to totally get it. It's a journey. It's a lifelong pursuit of becoming more like Jesus Christ. That Jesus was the son of God and, and he, he's the one that offers us everything that we need. So Jesus is asking you today on a heart and soul level, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? He's also here to tell us the reality of this. Jesus is not here to give you necessarily guaranteed health and wealth on earth. Following Jesus doesn't mean you're gonna get a million dollars in your bank account tomorrow. Doesn't mean you're not gonna struggle financially. Doesn't mean you're not gonna get oppressed at work. In fact, you probably will. Jesus says the world will hate you. The world hated me. Following Jesus does not mean and hear this lovingly, please, that your preferred political candidate will get elected in the next election or your ideal public policy will get enacted here on earth. Jesus never overthrew the oppressive Roman government, which is far more oppressive and heinous than anything any of us have ever experienced here in the United States. He never did. He never even tried. That wasn't his pursuit. He was after eternity. He's after your heart. Following Jesus are you, won't give you the promotion inherently, but he offers something better. He's not here to protect your external comfort. In fact, he in Luke 9, he says, the son of man has no place to lay his head, which is ironic in this text because he's like, hey, come hang out and see where I'm staying. More on that in a second. So what are you seeking? The only way to the true perfect peace, the joy, the hope, that you are yearning for today is found in and through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. So if you're seeking all of those things in your job, your promotion, your bank account, or an, etern- an earthly relationship of some kind, you're, you're going to be frankly disappointed because life will let you down, but Jesus never will. All you need is found in Jesus. What are you seeking? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, and later in Matthew 6, 33, he says this, you'll see it on the screen, but seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added up. If you read that more in depth, and we don't have time to do that today, you actually see that the verse before this, a couple of verse, Jesus is like, I know your needs. I know that you're practical, you know, the food that you need, the clothes that you need to wear. I know them, I'm not surprised for them, and I will provide for them, but what I need you to do is not focus on them, but pursue me first, and trust me with the rest. Trust me first in your finances. Trust me first with your calendar. Trust me first in your vocational choice. Trust me first with your energy, and then let me fill in the rest. Are you doing that today? These two friends, they responded to Jesus' question, what are you seeking? They ask a really interesting question. They go, where are you staying? Interesting. And Jesus said to them, what? Come and what? You will see. 
he offers this invitation and get, what do they do? They, so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for a while. So you see, see, again, come and see, see Jesus accurate. And what do they do? They respond by following him literally. They began to literally walk with Jesus. Praise God that Jesus, the savior of the world, the creator of the world, John 1 tells us that, he wants to hang out with you. Isn't that awesome? He's like, come on over to the crib, man. Let's chill. Like seriously, like that's what he's doing right here. It's an invitation an open door, literally, to the life and the heart of Jesus Christ. What hospitality, what love. And they accepted it. But when you begin to peel back the onion of scripture, which is what we love to do here at Harvest, you'll see that there's an even deeper thing happening right here. When you look at the wording here, the word here for stay can actually be translated to dwell with or is most often translated by a significant amount to abide. To abide. They're like, Jesus, where are you buying? Where are you dwelling? Where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. They ask a practical question and Jesus does give them a practical answer and he invites them into his practical Airbnb for lack of a better term or whatever he's doing. But just like Jesus so often does, what he's doing is giving them both a practical and a spiritual answer that they don't even realize. It's the story of the parables over and over. It's like cracking the kingdom code, right? So what he's saying is come and see what it means to abide with me and in me. They don't understand that. Come and see that what it means for me to abide in you. He's inviting them on a journey to dwell with Jesus and allowing Jesus to live inside of them and stay with them and remain through them. And it's a foreshadowing. A lot of this is, and remember, this same word of abiding is the exact same word that Jesus uses the night before he goes to the cross in John 15 with the disciples. You'll see this on the text and it's sort of a preview and a foreshadowing for what's to come. John 15, four and five. Abide in me and I in you. Stay with me, remain in me, dwell with me, he's saying. And I in you. See this reciprocal? You abide in me, I abide in you. You see me accurately? You want to stay with me? Follow me and allow me to abide in you. How? By believing in me and receiving me into your life and your heart. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You can't bear fruit outside of staying, dwelling, and abiding in Jesus. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, all these are the same word, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So get, this is where it gets really fun, right? What are you seeking? Jesus, I don't care what you're seeking. You're going to get nothing out of it unless you abide in me. Unless it's in me, unless I am the source of your fulfillment, your sufficiency, your satisfaction, unless you abide in me, you can do really nothing that matters. They didn't get this yet. Some of us don't still get this, and we all struggle with it. I struggle with it, right? But it's an invitation from Jesus to come and see that the best thing for you is to abide in me. Remain in, no matter your external circumstances, no matter what is happening in the world around you, remain in me. Remain in me. What does it mean to abide? What does it mean to stay? What does it mean to dwell? This word means to remain in and to do not depart to surrender and to put our hearts under the authority of God's word and God's will, to allow the word of God to fill our minds and our, 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 transform our affections and our pursuits, to rest in the character of God and to trust him to be the needed treasure that we all need in our lives, to live a life of fervent prayer. And if you, we'll dig in much later into the John 15 passage. It's beautiful and it's essential where Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. Like, are you communing with God? Pour out your heart 
What are, you, what are you searching for? Ask me to abide in and allow Jesus to be your strength. I know that many of us, I'm, I'm guessing our, our hearts and our souls are weary this morning. You're worn out. You're wounded. You're wrestling. Anybody tired? Yeah. Jesus' invitation this morning is to come and rest in me. Come and and stay with me. Come and, and dwell with me. Remain in, even when the world is crazy. Maybe you've drifted away from the word of God. Jesus is like, come back. Return. Repent. Reset. Exhale. Trust me. Rely on me. Rest in me. Would you do that today? Bring your questions, bring your concerns, bring your doubts and rest in me. A lot of things happen on the men's retreat, a lot of stories. One of them was there was a guy there that was very open, like I'm, I'm wrestling with some doubts that I have. And by the end, he was like, I'm warning that God loves me even with my doubts. That I can rest in that, that I can come to him in that. Friends, abide in Jesus today. Come and see. That early disciples, they came and saw. They didn't understand everything and neither you or I do too. Don't let what you don't know about Jesus stop you from following Jesus because of who you do know Jesus to be. Trust in him. Allow the progressive sanctification to happen in your life over time. Andrew and John accepted the invitation to come and see and follow Jesus. Will you today as well? And will you do it today, tomorrow on Monday when work gets crazy? And when the fam- on Tuesday when the family goes bonkers? And on Wednesday, when you get a call from the doctor you didn't want to get a call from, or on Thursday, when an extended family member hits you up for something, will you remain in Jesus, rest in Jesus, dwell in Jesus? That's what a follower of Jesus does. Because apart from Jesus, we can do not, what? Nothing. Nothing. Where are you trying to do things apart from Jesus? And you wonder why you're failing and falling short and exhausted. But in Jesus, you can bear much fruit. Praise God for that. The second distinctive of a true authentic follower of Jesus is one who abides in Jesus, but one who also brings others to Jesus because Jesus changes everything. We see that vividly in this text, vividly. Not once, not twice, three times. When people see accurately who Jesus is, their, their reaction is to bring others to see who Jesus is. The first is John the Baptist and he's pointing his disciples to Jesus. The second is Andrew. And then the third is Philip. But we focus on Andrew right here in verse 40, 41. He chose to follow Jesus. He was just hanging out with Jesus. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus, his name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And what did he do in verse 41? He first found his own brother and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. In verse 42, he what? What's the next word? He what? He brought him to Jesus. He didn't just tell him and leave him. He's like, come on, bro. I met the man we've been waiting for. I met the one that we've been thinking about and talking about and yearning for. I met the guy that's going to change everything because he's changed me. And I want you to meet him too. He testified about Jesus. And he brought others to Jesus. And who was the first one he went to? His family. And you're like, that's great. He's a disciple. At this point, the dude's a blue-collar fisherman. He does HVAC work. He does sewer work. He fixes printers. He's a teacher. 
He's a government worker whose life has been changed by Jesus. And he goes and tells his brother about it. How many of us have a friend or a brother that we could tell about Jesus today? He didn't just tell him, but he brings him to, he's like, and these guys were fishermen. And you can just hear Simon, Peter, holy imagination, right? Like, bro, I, I got a fish today. What is dad going to think if we leave the boat? <laughs> like, it's a family business. I have all this pressure. And Pete, Andrew's like, I don't care. This guy's going to change everything. I'm not stopping until you're coming. How many of us need to lovingly encourage family and friends to come see who Jesus is? Bring them to Jesus. And you can do that around a picnic table. You can do that in a conversation in a car, on a college campus. You can do it here at Harvest. You can do it small group. But are you bringing them to Jesus? You can't change their hearts. Only God does that. But our calling is to point them to Jesus in every way possible. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Look at what he does to Peter's life. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus said to him, so you are Simon, the son of John? Peter's like, yep. Well, here, you shall be called what? Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is Aramaic. Peter is Greek. They both mean rock. In an instant, Jesus changes everything for Peter. New name, new identity, new savior, new purpose. And he, he is here to change everything for you too. Jesus changes everything. This is a pointing forward to Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus will tell Peter in the future, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter's just a fisherman. And Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will disciple you into being a leader of the church. Ah, Jesus, you have no idea what I've been through. He's like, I know, but I'm enough. Jesus, I can't ever do that. I, 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 I'm just a bold, blustery guy that has got anger problems and can't control my temper. Jesus like, I know, but I'm enough. Come follow me and let me change and transform you into someone that will do things far greater than you could ever hope or imagine through my power, for my glory, to build my church, to change generations upon generations. And that same God that transformed Andrew and Peter wants to transform you and I today to help build his church, to bring him glory, not through our power, but through his power. Because Jesus changes everything. You're like, I don't like who I am, or you don't know where I've been, but Jesus changes everything. He changed the name of Peter. He gave him a new heart, a new life. In an instant, a new purpose, build my church. Peter didn't understand everything. He just began to walk the road as following Jesus. Will you begin to walk the road and take the next step today? Because Jesus changes everything. And if we really believe that, do you believe that Jesus changes everything? Do you? Do you want that for your family? Do you want that for your friends? Do you want that for your worst enemies? Do you want that for the difficult one at work? Do you want that for the, the friend that you love? Enough to have the hard conversation, the awkwardness? Enough, enough, enough to go? I hope so. Because Peter's life is not the only one Jesus changes in this text. In verse 43, we see Jesus move north to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, what? Follow me. Verse 43. It's an invitation and an exhortation. Follow me. Will you follow Jesus today? The same invitation that Jesus gave Philip, he's giving you and I today. Friends, we're not called to follow our feelings. We're not called to follow our, our emotions. We're not called to follow our, our circumstances. We're not called to follow our culture. We are called to, called to follow Jesus Christ. 
will you follow? Only through Jesus, when we put our faith in him, we, can we experience eternal life. Now we'll notice in verse 44 and 45, what's the first thing that we know that Philip does when he experienced the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ? Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip, what did he do? Verse 45, Philip, what's the next word? Found. He's like, I got to go find my buddy. He's not like Nathaniel's right there. He's like, I'm searching for Nathaniel because Nathaniel needs to know there's some urgency. There's some intentionality, right? In bringing other people to Jesus. I'm going to go seek. I'm going to go look for because I love you and God loves you. And because I love you, I need to tell you about Jesus. He changes everything. And, and when we bring people to Jesus, sometimes it's proactive and says, I'm going to go seek this person out that God laid on my heart. Other times it's reactive and God brings people in our life or into our cars or our houses or in the grocery store line that we were never expecting. Are you willing to point them to Jesus? Are you like, I ain't got time for that. I got my own plan. That's kind of the point. Followers of Jesus get off their plan and get on God's plan. Will you be willing to do that? Jesus changes everything, including your plans your priorities, your purposes. He found Nathanael and he said, look, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's like the one that Moses talked about, the prophets prophesied about. I've seen him and I want you to see him too. And Nathanael's first response, I love it, the snark. He's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Jesus was prophesied as coming out of Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. That, put that on a t-shirt, right? Nazareth was a small town of about 2,000 people, and it was looked down upon people. If they had a band from there, it would probably be called small town rejects, like literally. Because no one thought anything good could come out of Nazareth but God. God says, I'm greater than your background. I'm greater than where you came from. I'm greater than your, your shame or your guilt or whatever in the past. I'm, I'm greater than what society thinks about you. That I have a greater plan for you. That I change everything for you. And Philip's response initially to hearing about Jesus is what? Skepticism. And maybe you're here questioning Jesus today. Jesus is big enough for your questions. Come and bring your questions, your concerns, your comments. Bring them to Jesus. But notice, friends, what Philip does with Nathaniel. So Nathaniel raises this skeptic question, and Philip doesn't start this debate with him. What does he do? What's his response? Verse 46, Philip said to him what? Come and see. I'm not going to debate you. I just want you to see for yourself. I can't change you, but Jesus can. Maybe we need to stop debating and start bringing. Maybe we need to stop debating and start bringing as we start modeling who Jesus is, as we start pointing others to who Jesus is and stop, get off the debates on social media or whatever. And I know some, I'm not saying there's not a point of debating and, and incredible intelligence and, and all the things. I'm just saying, let's make sure we're not making it about ourselves and make doubly sure we're making it about Jesus and bring them to Jesus. We're not here to win an argument. We're here to point them to Jesus who can win their souls, not us. He didn't debate them, he brought them. And he said, come and see. I want you to see Jesus accurately. You have all these misnomers about Jesus. You don't think anything good can come from Nazareth. Come and see for yourself. Who in your life do you need to invite to come to see Jesus? Because when you encounter Jesus truly and accurately, everything changes. We've seen four different encounters. Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. Newsflash, Nathaniel's about life is about to get rocked by Jesus. A skeptic, a fisherman,
Will you allow your life to be changed by Jesus and then will you allow Jesus to come through? You see the words come and see here. They're both an invitation from Jesus, literally in the text. We saw that in verse 39, to us to come and see Jesus. But it's an invitation to us, but then we also see right here, verse 46, it should be an invitation through us to others to bring them to Jesus. Come and see who Jesus is. He changes everything. That's why this sermon series is named what it is. It's the theme of the gospel of John. Come and see Jesus. See him accurately and follow him faithfully. Friends, we're just all a bunch, as somebody else has said before, we're all just a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about a somebody who changes everything. His name is Jesus. I can't change your life. Jesus can. Come see him. Come see him. So many of you were brought here by someone else. We're brought to Jesus. Maybe this week you want to take a minute and just thank God for those people that brought you to Jesus. Pointed you to Jesus. Maybe you want to drop them a text and say, thank you in high school for pointing me to Jesus. Give them a call. Drop them an email. Take them out to coffee and just look them in the face and say, thank you for loving me enough to tell me about Jesus. If we believe that Jesus changes is everything, and many of us, if not many, most of us said that we do, friends, what conversations are you unwilling to have to tell others about Jesus? If you really believe he changes everything, it's like having the cure to cancer and not telling your, your friend about it when they need it. What money should we not spend to tell other people and to go to our nations and to our neighborhoods to tell other people about Jesus? What money would you not give? What time would you not give? If Jesus really changes everything and we really, 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 really believe that, what would we not do to bring others to Jesus? And what are we not doing? And what do we need to change so that we can start bringing others to Jesus? That's what part of being a follower of Jesus. That's our commission that Jesus gives us. Go and make disciples. Be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and the ends of the earth. Are we obeying Jesus in that? What conversations do you need to have this week or be intentionally point other people to Jesus? How can you pivot to do that? Jesus changes everything. May we bring others to Jesus. And that's done through different personalities. You don't have to be an extrovert or an introvert to do it. You just have to be a follower of Jesus and be intentional about it. It can be one-on-one over a cup of coffee and a text message. It can be in front of a, a classroom full of people in a teaching setting. It can be done in a variety of ways, but are you intentionally bringing others to Jesus? We see that over and over and over here. Three times, three followers of Jesus kept pointing to G- others to Jesus and bringing them to Jesus. Bringing others to Jesus is absolutely a huge part of what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you praying? You're not saving anybody but are you intentionally giving your life to point others to the one who can save them? The third distinctive of a true authentic follower of Jesus is, yeah, you abide in Jesus, you bring others to Jesus, and now you surrender to Jesus because he is the one true king. Jesus, Nathaniel is brought to Jesus and he goes to Jesus, verse 47, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming and says, behold, again, focus, fixate on an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? And that word no is intimate. It's personal. It describes a relationship on an intimacy level between a husband and a wife. This isn't just like, how did you know that my hair is brown or my eyes are blue? It's how do you know my heart? How do you know my soul? You ever had a conversation with someone that's like, when they look at you in the eyes, it seems like they're seeing your soul? Jesus really can, okay? Jesus answered, and before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, what I, what? saw you. Again, the word see. 
Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He changes everything for Nathanael. And Nathanael actually truly sees Jesus accurately. He's like, you are the son of God. I see it now. I was a skeptic. Now I'm a saint. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Because he came to the reality through Jesus' omniscience that Jesus knew everything about him externally. He's like, I saw you sitting under the fig tree and he knew everything inside of him. You're a man without deceit and you still need Jesus. Jesus knows your outside, he knows your inside and he, Daniel responds by saying, I know you. I wanna follow you. I wanna put my faith in you. And when Jesus says, you will see greater things in this, He's like, you think me seeing you under a fig tree is something? You, you have no idea. Verse 50. Friends, we have no idea what, what Jesus wants to do in us and through us. This is, what he's referencing here in verse 50 and 51 are profound. He says, and look at this promise in verse 51, two of them. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will what? What's that word? See. I will see, it's amazing how many times the word see is in this text. You will see what? Heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. He is referencing here Genesis 28 in Jacob's ladder. When Jacob had a dream at Bethel and he saw angels ascending and descending, he saw the heavens open. What Jesus is saying right here is you're not gonna get this yet. You will see something far greater than me seeing under the fig tree. You will see that I am the one come to die for you on the cross of Calvary. He's referring to his crucifixion and his resurrection. He is saying, I am the ladder that Jacob saw. It's amazing to look at the Old Testament with the, New Te- with the gospel in view. He's saying, I am the one and the only one who can make a way from you from earth to eternity because you need a savior and I am the son of God and I am that man. Praise God for that. And then he continues on and he says, descending on the son of man. You're like, okay, what's the big deal about the son of man? It's amazing when you look at it in context. So, Nathaniel has already referenced Jesus as the king of Israel. You are the king, he says. And then he responds by surrendering and submitting his heart and life to Jesus Christ, which is what we should do to a king, right? What do you do when you're in the presence of the king? You kneel. You surrender. You submit. Have you done that? But Jesus is like, you think I'm the king of Israel? I got another thing coming for you. I am the son of man. The son of man is the most popular title that Jesus self-refers himself to. It's about 80 times in the gospels. Yes, it explains his humanity. He is the son of man. He is fully God, fully man at the same time. But you know what else it is? It is a a messianic declaration. Any guys in the men's retreat remember where we first see the son of man listed? Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Daniel sees a prophecy and it's this. I saw in the night visions and behold, Behold, again, see, with the clouds of heaven and there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should what? Serve him. We should submit and surrender. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Praise God that he is a kingdom that cannot be conquered. Jesus is our reigning king. He is our risen king. He is our ruling king. The question is, will you surrender to him? And Nathaniel says, I recognize you as the one that came to be the king of Israel, thinking in an earthly manner. Jesus is like, I am more than that. I am the king who is eternal. I am the son of man. 
I am the one who brings with him a kingdom of every tribe and every nation looking forward to this vision of revelation. Praise God for that. Will you surrender? Because when we see a king, we need to surrender and then we need to follow. That's our appropriate response. Are you surrendering and submitting all areas of your life to Jesus Christ right now? So when we see Jesus accurate, when we respond to him, we respond, what does it mean to be followed? We surrender wholeheartedly, all of us, not just some of us. With our finances, with our time, with our hearts, with our words that come out of our mouth in the office, with our, how we interact with relationships, are we going into the word saying, what would my king's word have me do? And I will do it. If you love me, you will obey my commands, Jesus says. Are we then walking, beginning this long walk of obedience in the same direction like Eugene Peterson describes discipleship? And we talk about how do we do that here through our worshiping Christ, walking with Christ, and working for Christ, serving him. Will you do that? Jesus today is looking for faithful followers, not fair weather fans. How many of us are actually fair weather fans versus faithful followers? What's the difference? Think about a sports reference, right? You're a fair weather fan. When my team's good, I'll watch them. When they're not, I'm going to find something else to do. Some of you are like, when Jesus is good to me, I'll come to church. When he's not, I'm going to find something else to do. Oh, fair weather fans, I moved to a new city. I'm going to get a new jersey. Faithful fans, followers, I'm rocking my team no matter where I live, right? Some of us are like, well, when life circumstances change, I'm going to put on the jersey of the military uniform, and that's going to be my top pursuit. I'm going to pursue my work career, my family career, my whatever career, because that's where my focus is in this season of life. Repent, friends. Repent. Or Jesus will make your knee bow. Humble yourself or be humbled by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will not allow you to serve another king and it for, the, it for it to go without him interacting with you on earth or for all of eternity. Be faithful, even if your team gets blown out the other night by the bears. Be faithful. Be faithful. Are you being faithful? Where in your heart and life do you need to surrender? Because as we close, I want you to rest in this, these realities. We have a king who is reigning, who is risen, and who is relational, and he's righteous. I want you to be able to rest in these reigning realities of King Jesus as we seek to follow him. Look at this text. The first reality to rest in today as we choose to surrender our hearts and lives to him, where in your life do you need to do that is this, that Jesus knows you. We see that in verse 48. He looked at Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? And Jesus is like, because I'm the king. He knows your past, your sins, your shortcomings. He knows your present worries and anxieties. He knows your future uncertainties and he loves you anyway. He forgives you and he's with you in it and through it. He doesn't just know you. He will provide for you. But why? Because he sees you. Verse 48. See, he said, I know you, Philip, and I see you. You were under the fig tree. I see you. He knows where you are in life, literally. He knows your struggles, he knows your needs, and he promises to provide. He might not give you what you want, but he will give you what you need. It's part of surrender. I trust Jesus that you know what I need in this season more than I do, and I will follow you regardless. Third, he has greater things for you. Verse 50, you will see greater things in this. We have a king who wants us to look forward to eternity. Will you live today on earth with an eternal perspective? That changes everything that this world is not our home, that we are sojourners, that we are exiles, that we are ambassadors. 
living for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That our hope is not rising and falling on nations here on earth or presidents here in this country or policies or gas prices or sports teams or jobs or military careers. It's anchored in the unchanging reality and the kingdom that will reign forever in Jesus Christ. He's got greater things coming for you. Will you trust him and follow him? And finally, Jesus is the way for you. He, he tells us vividly as he talks about heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. He's like, I'm the ladder. I am your way. I am the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Will you follow? Are you, are you a fair weather fan that needs to repent today and choose to follow instead of just wearing some jersey and you're just out for a stroll? Or will you choose today to put your trust and your hope in Jesus, to abide in him and rest in him? to bring others to him because he changes everything and to surrender to him because he's the one true king. He's worthy of it all, amen? Will you give him your all? What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Jesus is asking, will you follow? What's your response? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your grace and your goodness in our lives that you are the one that seeks us and finds us out. You're the one that calls us. You're the one that changes us and transforms us, God. Thank you for inviting us to where you're staying. Where you're reigning now in eternity, you have an open invitation to us to abide in you here on earth, to experience abundant life and to look forward with confident expectation that you've gone to this place to prepare a room for us in heaven where you're dwelling and you're reigning. And you want us to come and see. Help us to put our faith in you, to see you accurately for who you are as the Lamb of God, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the one Moses wrote about and the prophets prophesied about, as the Son of Man, as the way, the truth, and the life. And help us in response to that to choose to follow faithfully. To surrender right now and submit and follow you with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. Show us where we need to repent. Give us the, the courage to return or to choose you for the very first time. To move from religion to relationship. Thank you for that invitation for a personal relationship with you here on earth and for all of eternity, Jesus. Thank you for being our living hope. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.